Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720 Morningstar Books and Gifts 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. On our program today, we're going to continue with our very, very privileged interview that we had with the new head of the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church. as referred to by his own people as his Beatitude, or Patriarch. He is technically, canonically speaking, a major archbishop, and his name is Patriarch Sviatoslav Sevchuk. He happens to be the youngest bishop in the Ukrainian Catholic Church and the fourth youngest in the Catholic world. We had been talking with him in a previous program, but we also discussed with him the issue of Ukrainian-Byzantine Catholic relations with the Orthodox churches in the Ukraine. And this is what he had to say. Your Beatitude, can you tell us what is happening ecumenically between the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church in Ukraine and the Orthodox churches? Well, so right now I'm just trying to keep going in this direction which was proclaimed by my predecessor, Lubomir Huser, mm-hmm. in his famous homily, United People of God in the Holy Mountains of Kiev. Mm-hmm. In the liturgy of my enthronement, we had a very nice icon of the communion and unity among the churches. Mm. Why? Because uh, in that event were present bishop from the Ukrainian uh, Orthodox Church in communion with the Patriarchate of Moscow, then Patriarch of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church of the Patriarchate of Kiev, and Bishop, representative of the Ukrainian Autocephalic Orthodox Church. Hmm. Uh, so all those divided branches of the uh, uh, one Church of Kiev were present. Hmm. And now I'm trying to, to visit all my brethren. Hmm. So I visited Patriarch of Kiev, Patriarch Filaret. Recently I visited his Beatitude Metropolitan Volodymyr Sobodan. Mm-hmm. He is a head of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church in union with Moscow Patriarchate. And also I maybe in the next few months I will visit the head of the Ukrainian Autocephalic Orthodox Church. So first of all I'm trying to, to make those contacts 
mm-hmm. with those uh, uh, leaders of uh, those churches. And uh, we really trying to build our good relationships. Mm-hmm. Recently, uh, as um, summarizing our synod that we had in Brazil a few weeks ago, we issued a special letter to our faithful where we, we ask, uh, do not say or do not do anything that can be offensive to our brethren, mm-hmm. Orthodox or even Protestants. So we're trying to build human relationships, mm-hmm. interpersonal mm. uh, uh, relations, and then we want to move forward. Mm-hmm. Perhaps I proclaimed my wish. Perhaps we have to prepare some sort of reconciliation between Byzantine Catholics in Ukraine and Orthodox. Mm-hmm. But uh, sadly, as you can, you, you, you can understand, there are three different Orthodox denominations in yeah. Ukraine. So uh, uh, right now does not exist unified Orthodox mm. Church. Yes. Maybe it's, it's the biggest problem of the modern Orthodoxy in Ukraine. And, uh, well, we are trying to do our best in order to build community, communion in order to restore our unity. Your Beatitude, this is perhaps maybe a difficult question, but when you are referred to as patriarch, how does how do the other patriarchs respond, so that, such as in Moscow? How do they respond to that? Well, responses are not so so easy. <laughs> so first of all, when I uh, create any relationships with the so-called patriarch of Kiev, mm-hmm. uh, which is considered as a non-canonical, very often Moscow patriarchate can feel itself offended mm. because of those relations. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I develop my my relationship with the Russian Orthodox Church, those Ukrainian Orthodox can be can feel themselves offended. <laughs> so I have to be very uh, how, how it can can express uh, very sensitive, very sensitive. prudent. Prudent, yeah. <laughs> um, and I thinks a lot what kind of title to use, yes, <laughs> and how to to build our communion without. Yeah. Uh, to offend yes, anyone. Yes. On that note, one more question. You are so young, and yet you have the weight of this incredible church in all of this, ch- these challenging ecumenical relationships upon your shoulder. What do you feel? Well, there are different feelings, you know. But I feel that we have to move forward. <laughs> we, we cannot stay with this weight. <laughs> because Christ himself uh, uh, asked us, receive our cross and follow him. Yes. Do not be uh, uh, in the, uh, do, not, do not stay immovable with that right. cross. We have to move. Yes. And uh, maybe this is the, the main task which I, I have to perform, mm-hmm. to move forward to be ahead of the very dynamic and vital church which can respond to the challenges of the modern world and also the open church which is open to everybody. Mm -hmm. It's not ethnical ghetto but a church 
which can share its own tradition, old treasures with, with everybody. And also its church open to the communion with those brethren who uh, are not united with us in this moment. Because this is the wish of the Holy Father and this is the wish of Christ himself. Well, your church is already most definitely moving forward as you have taken over as the head your Beatitude, and we all pray that it will continue to move forward. I want to thank you once again for being with us here on Light of the East. Thank you so much. Hopefully you enjoyed that interview. I know I was honored and privileged to do so as well. And I also gained a lot of insights into not only this individual, this new patriarch for the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church, but also into the church itself, the Ukrainian church, the church in Ukraine, the Orthodox Catholic relations there. And this has implications for the whole church and the whole world of ecumenism. But I think some background is needed and a little bit of review. What you heard, just in a way of explanation, was reference to the various churches in the Ukraine. There is the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, or the Moscow Patriarchate, which has more than 9,049 communities, the majority of which function in the central and northeastern parts of Ukraine. Then there's the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, the Kievan Patriarchate, which has more than 2,781 communities, of which approximately one-third function in the central and more than 10% in the southeastern parts of Ukraine. And then, as you heard the Patriarch mention, there's Ukrainian Autocephalous Orthodox Church, has 1,015 communities, of which more than 80% function in eastern Ukraine. Okay, now those are the Orthodox churches that his Beatitude is in dialogue with, as, as you heard him say, in trying to bring about peace and, and harmony and move towards ecumenism. Now, in terms of the Catholic churches in Ukraine, there is, of course, the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church, or we can refer to them also as the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church. That, of course, is the one that the Patriarch is the head of. And it has more than 3,317 communities, the majority of which function in western Ukraine. And then there's the Roman Catholic Church, which has more than 870 communities, most of which function in the central regions. And Lister will take note, especially if you are of the Latin Rite, you're Roman Catholic, that the majority in Ukraine is the one country in the world where the majority of Catholics are of the Eastern Rite, the Byzantine Rite, or as John Paul II would call it, the Eastern Lung of the Church. So once again, the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church in Ukraine has more than 3,317 communities. And the Roman Catholic Church, or Latin Rite, has more than 807 communities. Now, the Armenian Apostolic Church is another church there in Ukraine, and there's also other Protestant churches as well. We're going to talk more about the Ukrainian church and some of its background and how this split came to be between the Ukrainian Orthodox churches and the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church when we return. So please stay with us here. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Father Thomas Loya invites you to a special Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, November 13th, at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 
where you'll hear the Ecclesia Choir sing the Byzantine Funeral Rite, sung with melodies from the Carpatho-Rusin tradition, and one newly composed Zvat Sanctus, but harmonized with both Eastern and Western sensibilities in mind. The entire work will be sung unaccompanied. The harmonization is by Ecclesia Director Timothy Woods. For ticket information, go to lincolnchamberproductions.org, lincolnchamberproductions.org. For the Ecclesia Choir Concert of the Byzantine Catholic Funeral Rite at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, at 3 p.m. Sunday, November 13th. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Yo, Father Loya wants you to come out and sock hop to the fabulous Neverly Brothers at the Joliet Moose Lodge. And they play everything from Chuck Berry to the Beatles. Hey, I'm talking to you. Not only can you dance, but you can have a sumptuous dinner buffet. Then challenge your memory at the trivia contest and take a chance on a 50-50 raffle. This great time is a fundraiser for Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church of Homer Glen, Illinois. Get that grill cream and head out to the Joliet Moose Lodge at 25 Springfield Avenue in Joliet. Saturday night, November 12th. Saturday night, November 12th at 6.30. Tickets at the door or on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com, ByzantineCatholic.com for a sock hop with the Neverly Brothers. Saturday night, November 12th. Welcome back to the second part of our program today, Light of the East. You heard the second part of the interview we were privileged to have with Sviatoslav Sevchuk, who is the patriarch, the major archbishop, the new one of the Ukrainian Byzantine Catholic Church. Now, also, before we go any further, I'm going to stop and say just a little prayer right now, because today in our Byzantine liturgical calendar is the Sunday of the Holy Fathers of the Seventh Ecumenical Council. Now, the reason why I want to say a prayer, not only because the prayer is very beautiful and meaningful, as is all of our prayers in our liturgical life, but also this council is kind of dear to my heart because it had to do with the restoration of the true belief about icons. It was the breaking of the iconoclast heresy, and this happened at the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which in the Eastern churches they set apart from the other six major councils, and those councils all had to do with the nature of Jesus Christ. This council did also, but in a kind of a different way, a special way. Really, it was a question of the reality of the Incarnation, one of my favorite subjects, the reality of the Incarnation, that if the Incarnation of God, the invisible God, the second person Trinity, indeed did take on human flesh, then we can, in fact, use the things of creation to represent his image for our worship. And that was a huge controversy, and that controversy had to do, as I mentioned, really with the question of how deeply... How comprehensively do we believe in the reality of the Incarnation? Because it's not just a matter of, oh, well, the Bible says you should not have graven images, don't worship false gods. It's more than that. That, by the way, was a misreading of the Scripture. The iconoclasts, the ones that were breaking icons and punishing monks for painting them centuries ago, there was a, basically it was a misreading of that aspect of Scripture. But it goes even deeper than that. It's a complete misunderstanding of the reality of the Incarnation. And finally, the Church Fathers got together, as they always did from time to time in history, and they hashed out this whole question and made the pronouncement, 
as the official teaching of the church at the Seventh Ecumenical Council, which was in 787 A.D. Here's one of our prayers on this wonderful feast day. Come, all you people of the true faith, let us celebrate today in faith and true worship the anniversary of the God-mantled fathers who came together in the splendid city of Nicaea from the whole inhabited world. These fathers, in the wisdom of their pious minds, refuted the impious belief which the wretched Arius had invented. They banished him from the universal church by a decree of the council. They instructed all to confess openly that the Son of God is consubstantial and co-eternal with the Father before all eternity, decreeing the same with precision and true worship in the canon of faith. Therefore, following their divine doctrines and true faith, let us worship the Father and the Son and the Most Holy Spirit, the consubstantial trinity in one Godhead. One of my favorite councils, of course, because I do iconography, art, of course, in my background, and you can see some of my murals, although we're not supposed to really lay claim to them in iconography. You're supposed to kind of basically be anonymous. It's not a testimony to the artist. It's a testimony to the theology in color that's in the icons. But you can see them, some of them, if you go to our website, byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Now, a little bit more about the background of the Ukrainian church and this whole split between the Ukrainian Orthodox churches. And I'm going to read some notes from a speech that was given by Professor Ole Turi of the Institute of Church History of Lviv, Ukraine. Now, I also want to recommend to you the Ukrainian Catholic University, and you can get some courses online there as well. If you want to get in touch with them, you can go to their website, ucu.edu.ua. A lot of use there, I know. <laughs> so you can go to their website, ucu.edu.ua. That's Ukrainian Catholic University in Lviv, Ukraine. And we want to thank the development office there, Ukrainian Catholic Education Foundation, for allowing us to have that interview with the patriarch. I, I believe that they were very instrumental in, in setting that up for us. I'd like to thank especially Mr. Joe Solomini and Maria Kolchitsky. Again, thank you, Joe and Maria, for allowing us the privilege to have interviewed the patriarch. The Ukraine has a long Christian tradition dating from the 10th century, and today there's more than 22,000 religious communities in Ukraine from approximately 80 different Christian denominations as well as other religions. But the atheist policy of the Soviets has left its mark, and many Ukrainians today are unchurched because of the great spiritual void which the Bolshevik regime left in Eastern Europe. Now, it all started back in the 10th century for the Ukrainians, In 988, Prince Vladimir the Great established Christianity in its Byzantine Slavic rite as a natural religion of his country, of Kiev and Rus. This happened before the Great Church Schism of 1054 divided Christian East from the West. Now, the Kievan Church inherited the traditions of the Byzantine East and was part of the Patriarchate of Constantinople, which, of course, today is modern Istanbul, Turkey, a once mighty center of Christianity. Yet this church also remained in full communion with the Latin West and its patriarch, the Pope of Rome. Though... Constantinople and Rome had their disputes. The Kievan hierarchy tried to work for Christian unity. Representatives from Rus participated in the Western Councils of Lyon in 1245 and Constance in 1418. And Isidore, the Metropolitan of Kiev, was himself one of the creators of the Union of Florence in 1439. While the Kievan Metropolitanate was working towards reunion, a new Metropolitanate across north of Kiev in Moscow arose. The Church of Moscow refused to accept the Union of Florence, and separated from the ancient metropolitanate in Kiev, announcing its autocephaly, which means a self-governing status. And this was in 1448. In 1589, with Greek Orthodoxy and Constantinople subject to Turkish domination, the Church of Moscow became a patriarchate. I know this is kind of complicated, but the history of the Eastern Church is, is always very complicated. It has a lot to do with 
one group splitting from the next to the next to the next. Now we're going to go ahead a little bit in our history. The Kievan Church was challenged by the Protestant Reformation and the renewed Catholicism of that period and was also suffering a serious internal crisis. Now this is in 15, around, around 1596. The Synod decided to pass under the jurisdiction of the See of Rome. Now the traditional Eastern Rite of the Kievan Church was preserved and its ethnic, cultural, and ecclesiastical existence was guaranteed. This was confirmed at the Council of Brest in 1596, which is the beginning of the Ukrainian Greek Catholic Church as an institution. Some hierarchs and faithful of the Kievan Church, however, insisted on remaining under the jurisdiction of the Patriarch of Constantinople. So, torn by internal division, the central and eastern sections of Ukraine passed under the control of the rule of Moscow in 1654. And then soon, the Orthodox Kievan Metropolitanate was under the authority of the Moscow Patriarchate in 1686. As the Tsarist Empire grew, it repressed the Greek Catholics and forced, quote, conversions, unquote, to Russian Orthodoxy. Orthodox clergy and laity in Ukraine were dissatisfied with the close connections of the Russian Orthodox Church with Russian national interests. So, quote, Ukrainophiles, unquote, movements began, and after the Russian Revolution in 1917, a movement began to gain autocephalous status for Ukrainian Orthodoxy. Attempts to proclaim autocephaly in the 1920s and 40s were, however, repressed by the Soviet powers. Okay, now there's another dimension of the history of the church here. And again, I'm reading from the, some of the notes of Ole Turi, who gave a speech about this history at the Institute of Church History in the Ville of Ukraine. And again, to find out about the Ukrainian Catholic University and to take courses, even online, again, go to ucu.edu.ua. ucu.edu.ua. It'd be worth just checking them out, if nothing else. Okay, so now, all of Ukraine had been part of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth at the time of the Council of Brest, and Western Ukraine remained so. Now, that's this again, this is in 1596. The Church played a leading role in preserving the cultural and religious independence of the Ukrainian population there. As the Western Ukrainian lands later passed into Austrian control, the imperial government of the Habsburgs supported and protected the Greek Catholic hierarchy. Now, this is part of history of interest to me personally, because in this area, the people there were, at that time, not necessarily called Ukrainians, but they were Rusins or Carpathorusins, because this is the area that is at the base of the, the foothills of the Carpathian Mountains, which really are part of the greater Tatra mountain range. And this area is in eastern Slovakia and western Ukraine and even into parts of Hungary and Romania. And at that time, the Empress Maria Theresa, who was a Roman Catholic, as her empire extended and covered this region, it happened to have included, therefore, the people who call themselves Greek Catholic, or Eastern Catholic, or Byzantine Catholic, as we say today. And so, to identify them, she simply called them Greek Catholics. And that's how we sometimes <laughs> are called today. That's how we got our name, Greek Catholic, although in some churches we change it to Byzantine Catholic because it confuses people in America. They think that we are of Greek national origin, but it's not true. Our spirituality, our right, came from the Greek missionaries, the Greek church, but nationally, we're talking about a Slavic peoples in Central Europe. So, Maria Theresa called us Greek Catholics. And these were Rusin people of the Greek Catholic Church, of that region known as the Carpathian Mountains. Well, there's so much more to this fascinating history, especially in recent history under communism. And we'll be talking more about it in our program here. But I want to thank you for listening to us today. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East's mission is Christianity's Reunion, 
and to tell the story of the eastern lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support in order to keep Light of the East on the air. You can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Would you like to hear this Light of the East program again? Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya. Or hear Father Loya's companion program, A Body of Truth. Just visit the radio page at byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Or hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. Hear it again. For the first time. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To find out more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue this program with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount would be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East 14610. Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610, Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K, Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God bless you and grant you many happy years. <laughs>